0: Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to my story dot We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. What a beautiful day, right? I am telling you, uh, it's like uh, we're ready to build an ark. The rain has come, but you have made it. And the, um, so I want to also welcome all those in our Grovetown campus. I'm sure it's raining in Grovetown too. How about it, South? I would like to welcome you in the South campus and all those who are huddled up in your living room by the fire. Um, This week is a big week, so I want to encourage you to be at Christmas Eve services on Saturday and Sunday, 10 services across three campuses. And if you'll come, I promise you, it'll be one of the best services of the year. So invite your friends and your family members. You know, i like to start with something funny. Did you hear about this uh, family that the parents were going out Christmas shopping, so they sent the two boys over to spend the night with the grandma? And so they had two boys, one six years old and one eight years old. They had a great time with grandma. It got time to go to bed. And she said, now you go on upstairs and go to bed and I want you to say your prayers. And they went upstairs. They knelt down by their bed and they said their prayers. The six-year-old started and said, hey, God, I want a new bicycle. I want a new iPad. I want a Nintendo Switch. And the eight-year-old said, what are you doing? God's not deaf. You don't have to yell at him. He said, yeah, God's not death, but Grandma is. <laughs> but today we're continuing our series called The Gift. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the three gifts that the wise men brought Jesus uh, as uh, they worshiped him. Now, this story is told in Matthew chapter 2, and some of you may be familiar with it. Others of you may not be familiar with it. Jesus was born of a virgin uh, in Bethlehem. And the shepherds came, and also the wise men came. But what you'll notice in this story is that the wise men came a little bit later than the shepherds. We pick it up in Matthew chapter two, verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the e- <clears throat> from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, "Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star." in the east, and we have come to worship him. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out the exact time the star had appeared. And he he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report it back to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. Notice that when you look at verse 11, that when they bowed down and presented the gifts, that, they, that Jesus was no longer a baby in a stable in Bethlehem, but Jesus was a child, and they said, "I'm coming to the house. And so what we know is that they had been searching for the Christ child for some time. And honestly, what we also know is they were late for Christmas. Some time ago, my Aunt Sandy said to me, he said, Marty, he said, you know, if those wise men would have been women, it would have been completely different. She said, if the wise men would have been the women, they would have stopped and asked for direction instead of showing up two years late. He said, if the wise men would have been women, they would have cleaned up the place so that Jesus wouldn't have to be born in a barn. And if the wise men would have been women, she said, they would have brought practical gifts, like a casserole, so that the family would have something to eat. Now, tradition tells us that there were three wise men because we see three gifts that were given. But more than likely, there was a group of people that traveled with these wise men. These wise men were famous. These wise men were, uh, had great resources. They were like celebrities of their day. The Bible says they came from the East or the Orient. There are a lot of things that we know about the wise men, but there's some things that we do not know. But here's what we know. We know they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are unusual gifts, and they lead us to the big idea of this series. And that is this, that every gift tells a story. Every gift tells a story. The three wise men uh, gave three gifts that had significance. Each gift had a practical purpose, and it con- they conveyed a prophetic message. Last week, we talked about frankincense. Today, I want to focus on myrrh. Now, myrrh, much like frankincense, is a type of resin that comes from a low-growing, thorny tree in the Middle East. In the Bible, myrrh is mentioned 17 times, at least in the NIV version of the Bible. 14 times in the Old Testament and 3 times in the New Testament. It had a variety of purposes. In the Bible, we see that myrrh was used as a beauty treatment. In fact, when Esther was in her process of becoming queen... The Bible says that she was given 12 months of beauty treatments, and of those 12 months, six of months uh, featured the oil of myrrh. In in Psalm chapter 45, we see that the king's garment was um, uh, touched with the fragrance of myrrh and cassia and so forth. So we see it's also a perfume. We go on through the Bible and we understand that it is like an analgesic, it is a painkiller. It was used for toothaches and springs and and minor aches and pains. And even today, in some parts of the world, it is still used for those purposes. So when the wise men brought the myrrh and they knelt down and they worshiped him, they were saying, we're giving you this gift. And they were prophetically saying that Jesus is our painkiller. Jesus is our healer. But it's interesting to me that the very first time myrrh is mentioned in the Bible goes all the way back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 30, you'll see the writings of Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. Take cinnamon, take cassia, and take olive oil and make these into a sacred anointing oil. This passage, passage continues and says that the priest will use this sacred anointing oil to anoint people and to anoint places. Next verse. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the Covenant law, the table and all of its articles, the lampstand and the accessories and the altar of incense. But notice this. It says, anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so that they may serve me as priest. Then he continues. This is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. So anointing oil in those days was often used to consecrate priests and kings and sacred objects signifying that they have been set apart for a higher purpose for a divine purpose in the old testament prophets would anoint someone uh, to set them apart for a life of service unto the lord so in this process that Priests would take a container of oil, of myrrh, cinnamon, olive oil, and they'd apply a little bit of that oil to the forehead and thus set that person apart. So when the wise men came and they gave this gift of myrrh, what they are saying is that this child has been set apart for a special purpose. This child has been set apart for a higher purpose. So here's the point. The gift of myrrh points to the fact that Jesus was anointed for a life of service and sacrifice. The gift of myrrh points to the fact that Jesus was anointed for a life of service and a life of sacrifice. We see this unfold in Luke chapter 4. When Jesus was 30 years old, he went to the synagogue And he opened the scroll, and he read these words as he began his public ministry. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Over and over through the scriptures, after Jesus made this proclamation, we see Jesus healing sick people, restoring sight to the blind, calming storm, storms, even raising dead people back to life. And these events proved that he was the Son of God and he was the Messiah. Now, when we think about that concept and that word Messiah, Messiah actually means The anointed one. That's the definition of Messiah. Messiah is the anointed one. In fact, when somebody says Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title. The word Christ means Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. So Jesus was anointed to do God's work on this earth. What did he do? He came to save the lost, to heal the sick. To cast out devils and to raise the dead. That's what Jesus came to do. So we see about this anointing on him. But the anointing of God does not stop with Jesus. In fact, it continues with you and me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Notice these words, he anointed us. You are anointed. You are anointed. You have been set apart for a higher purpose. You've been set apart to serve God for his service. And I believe that God is going to work through you. And God is going to touch you and use you in ways that you never even dreamed possible. Here's the point. Jesus anoints us to do his work in this world. In other words, you are the hands of Jesus in this world. You're the voice of Jesus in this world. God, when he wants to speak to people in this community, he will use people just like you. And this anointing that you have been given, enables you to do things that you could not do in the natural. It'll give you uh, the ability to accomplish things that you never dreamed possible. You can overcome obstacles that seemed insurmountable. It'll break the chains that honestly that are holding you back. The anointing of God makes the difference. So let's talk about that. What does God anoint us for? He does anoint us for three reasons. First of all, Jesus anoints us so that we can share good news. We can share the good news. Back to that point in in Luke chapter 4. Jesus stood up and said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to share the good news. That same anointing is on you. You've been anointed to be a witness for God. And being a witness for God simply means just telling your story. And you know what? Nobody knows your story better than you. You may feel intimidated to witness when you hear that word. Oh, I can't witness. I don't know the Bible like I should. Just tell your story. Just say, this is what has happened to me. This is what has God uh, is doing to me. And in that moment, I just want you to lean into that anointing because the Bible says the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say when you need to say them. And if you're intimidated to share your story right now, I would just say, take the next step and invite them to church. You're in a conversation this week. It's a normal conversation, but then the Holy Spirit enters into the conversation and you have this opportunity to turn it just slightly into a spiritual conversation. But you don't know what to do. Here's what you do this week. Say, hey, why don't you come to Christmas Eve services with us? We have 10 services across three campuses. Come and celebrate Christmas. People are more open for an invitation to church this week than any other week of the year. Family, friends, come. If your family and friends only go to church one time a year, I want them at Stevens Creek this week. And we're going to treat them kind and nice. We're going to honor them. And we're going to present the message of Jesus in a way that's compelling, a way that's entertaining, and a way that will change their heart. So Jesus anoints us to share the good news. Here's the second thing. Jesus anoints us so that we can help people who are hurting We see the ministry of Jesus, that he was a healer. He helped sick people. He helped those who are blind. He helped those that are hurting. He helped those who are in prison. I believe that in the coming days, you will have an opportunity to help people and to show compassion to people. Start looking around you. Hurting people are everywhere. Everywhere. Their needs of hurting they're hurting people that are in your family, uh, people at your workplace, people you hang out with. And if you'll just stop just long enough to listen to them, maybe one of the best ways that you can help the hurting is simply pause long enough to listen. There's something about listening. And then when you are listening to them, you are ministering to them. Look, people want to be heard. That's why they spend a lot of money on counselors, and rightly so, because they need somebody to hear them. This week, you're going to be out and about, and you're going to run into someone that's hurting. They're suffering a loss Maybe it's a loss of a dream. Maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe it's a loss of a relationship. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Do you know that Christmas has this way of magnifying everything? It magnifies all the joys and all the happiness. But it also magnifies the pain and the suffering. So in that moment, just pause long enough to listen. And maybe the only thing you say to them is this. I am so sorry for your loss. As simple as that. I'm just so sorry for your loss. Don't overthink it. Don't stress about it. But let it be genuine and let it be natural. Look them in the eye and say, I'm so sorry for your loss. I hope you find peace this Christmas season. Something simple like that. God wants to anoint you to help people. Here's the third thing. Jesus anoints us so that we can serve God by serving others. That we can serve God by serving others. Over 2,000 years ago, God gave a model of servanthood in the life of Jesus. In fact, we see in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, it says, For the Son of Man came not to be served. He didn't come here to be served, But he came to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. When you take on the attitude of Jesus, you begin to live your life not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of others. That you care about others. We're all meant to give back, we're all meant to make a contribution. The Bible says that we're created to serve, that we're saved to serve, that we're gifted to serve, that we're anointed to serve. You were put here to serve God. You do have a purpose. You're here to serve God. And the way you serve God is by serving other people. So anytime you use your talent, your abilities, your resources to help somebody else, you are ministering to them. In the Bible, the word servant and the word minister are the same thing. And so we're called to serve. We're called to minister. And so just use your opportunities, your talent, your resources, your words to help people, to serve people. You may be uh, an attorney. You may be a truck driver. You may be a hospice worker or, or a homemaker. You may have a uh, a practice or you may be a teacher. You may be an accountant or you may be a farmer. Doesn't matter who you are. If you are a Christian, you're to serve and you're to serve to help others and to honor the Lord. So the gift of myrrh points to the fact that Jesus was anointed for a life of service and for a life of sacrifice. So I want to talk to you about sacrifice. I want to talk to you specifically about Jesus' sacrifice. In Mark chapter 15, we see Jesus on the cross. As he was dying on the cross, a Roman soldier came up to him, And took a sponge and dipped it in wine and myrrh. Notice that word again. Dipped it in wine and myrrh and gave it to Jesus. Why? Because myrrh was a painkiller. And that soldier gave it to Jesus on the cross, but Jesus refused it. He chose to feel every ounce of the pain that he was suffering through instead of having the pain deadened. So it's interesting we see an example of that. But not only do we see myrrh as a painkiller, but we also see it used in those days as an embalming fluid. In the uh, Egyptian world in those days, the Egyptians used myrrh to embalm the inside of a body cavity before it was entombed. The Jews also used it But they didn't use it to embalm the inside, but they used it to cover the outside, to treat the outside of the body. And we find this in the case of Jesus. After Jesus died and was buried, we see that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went to the tomb. Notice this. Well, they actually went to the cross and took him off the cross and prepared his body for the tomb. In John chapter 19 and verse 38 He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Notice this, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds of that. Now, the reason Nicodemus brought myrrh is very practical because bodies decay and myrrh was used to mitigate against the stench of the tomb experience. Myrrh and aloes would encase the body. So notice this. This gift of myrrh comes full circle. The wise men brought myrrh to Jesus as a child, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And now we see uh, at the end of his ministry, in that tomb, Nicodemus is bringing myrrh and aloes to encase the body. Now, here's something that I didn't know. You know, you can read a passage of Scripture over and over, and and as you study it uh, deeper, you learn things that you didn't know before. And so this week, I learned something about myrrh that I just didn't realize before. That the ancient rabbis associated myrrh with sacrificial death, specifically with Abraham as he went on Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Now, in the end, he did not sacrifice his Isaac because God provided a lamb. But here's what you may not know. The Hebrew word myrrh has a root word more, and it's the root word of the place that Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac. He sacrificed it on Mount Moriah The mountain of myrrh, that's what it means. Mount Moriah, the mountain of myrrh. So when that ancient Hebrew rabbi handled myrrh, he immediately connected myrrh with death, but specifically the sacrifice of a father of his son. Mount Moriah is the same area where Jesus Christ was sacrificed by his father for the sins of the world years later. So it's no wonder why ancient scholars looked at the gift of myrrh, the fact that it was an embalming agent, and the uh, the wise men brought it to Jesus as a prophetic announcement that this baby would be sacrificed to pay for the sins of the world. Well, today we want to remember that sacrifice. We want to think about that sacrifice. And we're going to do that by receiving communion together as a church at all three campuses at the same time. So if you uh, do not have communion elements, I just want you to slip up your hands real quickly and the ushers are going to come. They look like this. You may have missed it. Most people probably receive them. Grovetown Campus, South Campus. Just hold hold your hand up and somebody will come. There's some over here. And I want to talk about that as, as you're doing Passing out communion. Communion uses bread as a symbol of of Jesus' body and the cup as a symbol of Jesus' blood. Keep your hands up until you get the communion. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus met with his disciples and Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body which was broken for you. And he told those disciples, in the future, whenever you do this, I want you to remember me and remember what I've done. Jesus is telling his disciples at this moment what's about to happen. He said, I want you to remember my crown of thorns. I want you to remember how my hands were nailed to the cross. I want you to remember how my side was pierced for the sword, how my body was broken for you. I want you to remember how much I love you. And then he took the cup, and he had them to drink out of the cup. And Jesus said, as they were drinking from this cup, he said, now this is the cup of the new covenant of blood poured out for you. And as you drink the cup, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember how I love you. Don't forget that in the future. Don't forget that. Now, let's talk about the word remember. Now, the word remember in the original context actually pointed to the fact of reenactment. It was like for them, where he said, do this in remembrance of me. He said, I want you to reenact this. Go through the event again. In the Old Testament, the Jews in the Old Testament reenacted the Passover. And you see the Passover meal that they continue to reenact even today. And they tell the story how the death angel passed over them and, and God spared their families. Well, the believers in the New Testament reenacted the events of the Last Supper. So what we see is that Jesus sacrificed himself completely to give you a better life, to give you a fresh, a new start and a fresh relationship with God. This is what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter 3 when he said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, To bring you to God, he was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the Spirit. So today, you can be saved or you are saved through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's nothing you can earn. It's nothing that you deserve, but it is the gift of the forgiveness of sins. So we come to reenact the Last Supper. Now, we come to reenact this supper with a heart of gratitude, with a heart of thanksgiving, that we say to God, thank you for what you have given me. You have given me a new life. You've given me a new heart. You've given me a new hope. You've given me a new peace. You've given me a new love. You've given me a new future. We come with an appreciation. And so that's what we want to do. As we take the cup, we want to... Say, thank you, God, for what you have done in my life. So let's all stand together. In Grove Town and South Campus, let's stand together. And you'll see the cup that looks like this. Turn it upside down to the smaller end and pull that foil off. And there's a piece of bread in that. And I want you to take that bread out and hold it in your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up this bread because we recognize that this bread represents your body that was given on the cross for us. Your body, where you took the stripes, and because of those stripes that we are healed today. So, Lord, we remember what you have done. We remember your sacrifice, and today... We ask that you would bless this as we take it in Jesus' name. Now take the bread. I want you to take the cup and I want you to take the foil off of the cup. Be careful. This cup represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled from the cross. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. We think about your sacrifice today. We think about this cup represents your blood that you spilled out so that our sins can be washed away. We don't take it for granted, Lord, or we don't want to take it for granted. We want to remember that and we want to say thank you. And so, Lord, bless this cup as we receive it in Jesus' name. Now take the cup. Over the next few minutes, we're going to spend time in prayer. And we're going to sing together. And so I want to release the campuses so that you can have this prayer time uh, there at Grovetown and there at South Campus now. And as we sing, um, if any of you would like to be anointed with uh, oil and be prayed over during that song, just feel free. There'll be people here to pray for you. Thanks for listening.